You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Yasmin Ungo about her new book, It Ends With Night. Ms. Ungo received the 2020 Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award, and she's a member of numerous crime, mystery, and thriller organizations. It Ends With Night is part of a series. Welcome to the show, Yasmin. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, your bio indicates that you worked in education and you served as a developmental editor. I'm not sure if you're still doing that, but what does that entail? Yeah, I'm, I'm still developmental editing, um, probably not so much in this moment um, as in others uh, because I'm on deadline trying to uh, finish uh, this next book. But uh, what it entails is uh, clients will come with their manuscripts um, and their manuscripts. I'm I'm checking for like any kind of plot holes, you know, the bigger picture issues. So it's plot holes, it's um, character development, um, format of, you know, their manuscripts, stuff like that. Oh, wow. I assume that actually helps you also in your own writing. You kind of get to see different, you know, mistakes or different things that work and things that don't work. Yes, yes. It it, it does help me to become a little bit more um, critical of of my my work and, and to make sure that I'm filling in, you know, the areas that I need to fill in as, as much as possible. But I still use, um, you know, my publisher still provides a, a developmental editor for me because sometimes I'm too close to my work and so I might not see something. Sure. All right. So as, as a writer, when you're writing, in this case, let's talk about It Ends With Night, do you outline or do you kind of let it evolve organically? And I realize this is part of a series, but when you're writing a book, which of that, which of those do you do? Yeah, I, I definitely let it um, kind of evolve organically. I try to uh, to to do a little bit of I don't really want to call it outlining, but just kind mm-hmm. of um, some general notes of things that I definitely don't want to forget. I have to write a synopsis for my publisher because they kind of want to see what the story overall is going to be about. But it's never whatever I end up with is never quite what you know I give them. So uh, <laughs> because everything comes out, I just write whatever so that you know they'll just be like, okay, something's coming. Um, okay. um, but yeah, it has to be organic for me because uh, I like to um, explore and discover things as I write as well. And do you, you know, a lot of writers will tell me this, and we're going to talk about characters in a bit, but do you kind of live with your characters when you're writing a book? Very much so. They are all up in my head, and, and they're always, you know, people. some people say that they're talking to, to them and stuff like that, and um, if they're not talking to me, they're just whatever it is that would be going on with them, how how they're going to be, their characteristics, it's always something that is that I'm thinking about, because to me, the character is the most important aspect of the story. Okay. All right. So when you're writing a series, like It Ends With Night, uh, about Nina, um, when you're writing the first book, for example, are you already mm-hmm. thinking of storylines for the second? And when you're writing the second, storylines for the third? Or how does that work? Yeah. So when I initially wrote um, Her Name Is Night, the first book, I did not uh, think of it as a series uh, because I, I wasn't agented at that time, nor did I have a deal. So I just thought this was going to be the one and done, you know, but as I was writing it or no, towards the end, when I was finishing it up, and then also, um, you know, with my when I got my agent, and then we were, you know, shopping it around for deals and things, then she was like, what do you think about making it uh, be 
more like a series or uh-huh. have a three book deal or, you know, curve or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Because by then I really, really loved my character and thought that there are more things that she could, um, that she could be doing. Right. So I, I kind of just stretched out some threads, thought about what I would want to carry over uh, through the next, you know, two books or whatever, and then and then focus, and then just kept that in mind as I was writing the story. Okay. Now, I haven't read the first two, but I'm curious, when you do a series, um, I think I've had some, well, I know I've had some other authors that have done series tell me this. Is it important to kind of plant the seed for the next book, something unresolved in the first book or the next book? Yes, definitely, um, uh, because you you want when they're reading the next book, there to be a little bit of, you know, a recall to the first, um, there to be something that's, that's left unopened or, you know, unclosed, no, left open. Sorry, yeah, is what yeah, I'm trying that's to okay. say. That's um, so that, uh, you know, they, they will be able to, to find it again in the next one. And then by the end of the series, whatever the, the, the character started off with however they were at the beginning there, there's got to be like a change so it's yeah. more of like a character arc a change uh from one book to the last book that the the reader should be able to 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 tell the difference there should be movement yeah and you know what strikes me when i have read series is if there's something left undone it's kind of the catalyst for me to read the next book it's like oh mm-hmm. you know i wonder how this is going to resolve all right mm-hmm. so in in this series and we're particularly we're talking about it ends with night the final part mm-hmm. but Folks may be unfamiliar with the first two installments, so let's talk about the main character, Nina Knight. I found her backstory to be very unusual and, and at the same time very interesting. So for folks who have not read the first two books but might want to go back and read them, tell, tell us a little bit about her backstory, where she's from and the things she experienced. Sure. So, so Nina Knight is an elite assassin. Uh, she's the top assassin for the African Tribal Council, or the tribe, because it's a long title for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a member of their dispatch team. So the tribe is an organization made up of wealthy individuals who are all from different countries within Africa who have come together to pool their resources and, and their prestige and their influences to kind of give back um, to the people of the African diaspora, to the African continent, after centuries of having its resources depleted and colonization and stuff like that. So they kind of just want to rebuild Africa and make it like a one, a united Africa where they kind of keep their resources and they're seen um, in, in a better light by mm-hmm. the world. Okay. Uh, so they have a team of people who serve as their enforcers. And Nina is the, you know, the top of of this team. She is also the adoptive daughter of the Knight family, who are the ones who head this organization. They founded the organization. Um, they are Nina is she's Ghanaian, so she's from Ghana right, she's in from Africa, Ghana. Mm-hmm. which is uh, where my family is from. I'm Ghanaian American, but my parents immigrated from Ghana uh, to go to school here, to go to high college, not high school. So she is Ghanaian, um, and she lived in a little village in in Ghana. This is what you would find in the first book. So the first book is more of like her origin story, how how she came to be an assassin. I thought was a very uh, important story to tell because of the fact that she's an assassin, and it's hard to get behind somebody who is an assassin. So I wanted to tell the origin story for her, and so 
She was born in Ghana, and when she was about 14 years old, her village uh, was raided, and it was totally destroyed, and many children in that village were taken um, and sold into human um, human trafficking. And so that is what happened to, to Nina. And so, it, you know, she goes in and she has to survive and everything and, and pick up some ways to survive. And because all of those things were taken from her, her, her family killed, her, her, um, her name taken, she's gone through uh, an immense amount of trauma. Um, she is a survivor at the end. So it's really, you know, if we're talking about arcs and things, mm-hmm. it's a story of a survivor and of survivorship and what she has to do or had to do in order to survive for herself, um, yeah. to make herself yeah. feel uh, strong, to make herself feel protected, um, and to and to regain all these things that were taken from her. You know, she's a fascinating character. Um, from a Thank cultural you. standpoint, okay, mm-hmm. there are not a lot of heroines out there. Well, there are not a lot of heroines, period, okay? But right. they're not a lot of heroines, if any, like Nina. Was it? Maybe it's because of your background, but why was it important for you to create such a character? Well, I wanted to create such a character because I'm so much not like that character, and I love <laughs> those kinds okay. of. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, she likes to to exercise and run, and I'm allergic to exercise, <laughs> which is what I tell everyone. So, so she's got so many things about her that I thought were like amazing, and I would want to explore that in a story. But at the time that I was thinking about the story, I, I was like, I don't see a lot of, like you said, um, heroines that look like me who are from, you know, who have a background like I do in a sense and um, who are the ones that are being the saviors of the day. And I, and I love those kinds of stories. You know, I love a Jason Bourne and a Jack Reacher, a John Wick, Liam Neeson in, in Taken. I love all of those books and those movies, but I didn't see someone who was a woman who was taking charge like they were and doing all those things that they were doing. So I said, well, I'm just going to write what I would be like totally in love with reading. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I set out to do. And then I said, and I'm going to incorporate my culture and, and make that a little bit different because, you know, who, who thinks of a Ghanaian assassin who's a woman, right? And, yeah. and, and all of these things. And so, so those were the things that I set out to do when I was writing the story. It was really for me to, 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 to create a character that I could be so totally mesmerized by um, because I wasn't seeing that. Yeah. I see. Well, you know, one of the things that struck me, and tell me if I'm if I'm reading too much into this, but I, I found her to be troubling is the wrong word, but she's really wrestling with things she has to do, or whatever. It seems like she might be at a at a fork in the road about how she wants to live and who she wants to be. Am I reading too much into that? No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, because the the whole her whole everything is is a big fork in the road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, as I said before, she was she lost everything, including right. a lot of her humanity, how to love, how to trust people, yeah. how to have family, how to be a family. She lost all of that, and in her being a survivor and her trying to take back everything that was lost, that includes her learning how to love again, learning how to trust and accept that a family has accepted her, which is her found family in her adoptive family and learning, you know, what is going to make her happy. Now, when she became an assassin, she very much wanted, all she wanted to do was to be able to protect herself. And that means learning the skills and ensure that no one could do to her what was done before. And so she treats being an assassin very much like a job. She doesn't like it. She doesn't, you know, hate it or whatever. It's very much 
like a nine to five to her. But then she then she meets these other people that make her feel that um, that that there's more to life than just being this assassin. And, And that's what I really wanted to also delve into is how do you come back from from feeling like you're just a shell of your former self? Yeah, I think that comes through really well in the book. And it struck me that there are two characters that she that she interacts with or has something to do with that kind of represent just what you're talking about. Maybe, again, I'm mm-hmm. reading too much into it, but one is Wit, who was her mentor, mm-hmm. and the other yeah. is, is her significant other, we might say, Cortland Baxter, and mm-hmm. her relationships with them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, when you're crafting characters uh, like Nina, do you find that it is more interesting if they have struggles or if they are imperfect than if they are the so-called perfect character? Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a huge believer in there are no perfect characters, mm-hmm. just like there are no perfect people. There's no one who is inherently good or bad. And so therefore, our characters have to reflect that kind of humanity, even our villains. Right. Um, and so even the villains in, in my stories, they, they, they have a sliver of humanity that the reader should be able to relate with or understand in some way. Like, okay, I can understand why this person may may want money because they never had money before, or this person was, you know, jealous because something happened and whatever the case may be. And and so with Nina um, and in her relationships with, with Wit, and since you haven't read the first two, you've got to read because then you would know like how deep the relationship between right, them, right. you know, was as her mentor, as the person who taught her the skills to to protect herself. Um, and then also with with Cortland, because she's you know human trafficked, she will have a whole lot of struggles with loving someone um, and being vulnerable with them. And so those are things that she has to grapple with, including with his daughter you know, being a mother when you are an assassin, how do you, you know, how do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you deal with the child when all you know is to kill? And is that something you, you show to the child or, you know, or, or do you protect them from that? Can you protect them from that? So she's coming to the world with a totally different worldview from Cortland, who was a district attorney. Um, And he sees more black and white where she knows that the world is not just black and white, there's grays and there's all sorts of colors. And so how does that all play, play out? So she definitely can't be, and she's not, um, a perfect character because she kills people and she knows that, but she's human and she has, you know, she knows her faults and, and she's really trying and she has insecurities, which, you know, we talk about in that, in this book. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just human nature. And I, and I like to explore human nature in those ways. Well, you know, I think any good book, and this is a good one, has universal themes. And when you have a yeah. character that is struggling with something psychological or whatever it is, that that's universal. People can identify yeah. with it. And so I, I really found that part interesting. All right. I, I have not read the first two books, but I am curious about the relationship between her and wit and what yeah. transpires. And it ends with night without getting mm-hmm. too into too much detail to, to ruin it for folks. She's really put in a tough, we might even say ethical position um, as it relates to her mentor, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She is. She absolutely is. She she was in a tough situation in the last book um, and had to make a really, really hard decision. She had to make another hard decision in the first book. So by the third book, if you're meeting her in the third book, she's feeling very resentful um, 
about being put in those situations where she had to make a decision. Um, she's feeling betrayed um, and she's just really unsettled with herself because she's trying to decide if she made the right decision, if the decision that she made always has to be that decision. And yeah. so that's something that she grapples with in the third book. And um, it's a decision that you see, she kind of, it plays out for her in those final scenes with, you know, not to give spoils with, with a certain right, someone. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and she, and she has to make a decision of, if I, am I going to do this thing that I have always done or if I'm going to do something different? And so we find out what she decides and what the repercussions are for that. Yeah. And, you know, again, using wit as an example, um, and I'll talk in generic terms, we've all had, I suspect situations where we had a friendship and then the friend does something that really crosses a line, right? Yeah. And how do you react to that? That, that's another one of the universal themes that I found here. Uh, in that in that relationship uh, with yeah. Wit. And so I thought that went well. Now, there is another character that caught my attention, and that's Nina's sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this correct. Ellen, or is it Eileen? It's Eileen. Eileen, yeah. okay. And I, I found not her only to be interesting, but talk, talk a little bit about the relationship between the two of them, because I thought it also helped color in the rest of Nina's character. Yeah, yeah. I like to say that all of the characters uh, for Nina, because when we meet Nina, she is truly an empty shell. Her well is depleted. And so all these different characters fill her well in different ways. Um, And Eline is like the carefree older sister who we just love because she just accepts Nina. And that's also something that you, when you read the first two books, you will really see when they initially meet how how they they get to be where they are right now. And that's inclusive of Noble and Delphine, mm-hmm. her uh, adoptive parents and, and things like that. But I love Eline because Eline has every reason to be jealous and to be like really hateful towards this this person who has come into her family, Aline was the only child of a super rich family. And so she has every reason to be like, you know, I don't want this other person coming and taking half of what my parents will leave me. But Aline is not like that. Aline welcomes her and loves her as a sister. And she never lets her feel like she was anything other than a knight from the very beginning. Right. Um, right. But when we are, you know, in the uh, second and third books, you know, some sometimes siblings have a little bit of, you know, complications. And so they have a little tiny complication that they have to work with. Um, and by the third, when you uh, read this book, you know, they're kind of they've kind of worked through it. But she also knows that her sister needs, you know, needs support in these struggles that she has. And I'm talking about Eileen knows that of, right. of Nina. And, and so she is trying to support uh, their father in putting Nina in this position where she has to step outside of, you know, her comfortable zone um, and do this thing for the family and for the tribe. Okay. Well, you know, you said Nina is an empty shell. I'm going to give you a little bit different language and see if it resonates as well. I saw her as kind of living on an island, you know, there's, you know, no man is an island type thing. Mm -hmm. And these Mm -hmm. other characters slowly convincing her, perhaps, that you can't, you can't do that. You can't live on an island. And I thought Eileen, excuse me, was one of the major ones in showing her there's something to be gained by leaving that island, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that's I kind like of the that. analogy that I used. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like well, that. let me ask you this then, since I, do, I, I write as well, but I've had many authors tell me this, and I'm curious if you've had this situation, where somebody will, maybe somebody you know, maybe somebody you don't know, will contact you after reading a book and tell you about something they got out of the book that you had no idea of when you were writing. Have you had that happen? I have. I've had that happen. And I was like, huh, yeah. Someone um, just uh, messaged me maybe the day before yesterday and, and, and said, you know, like, oh, they think that Noble, you know, is actually a villain. They've read all three of the books. Uh-huh, and so right, right. Their, their conclusion was, you know, I think, you know, the dad is kind of like a villain. He put her in some predicament. That I don't know that that's cool, and I'm like, you know, I've never thought of Noble as uh-huh. um, as a villain, and I guess he could. I know that he's a hard man who has to make hard decisions, right. and and that he, you know, will put um, the business first before family, and that could be considered like villainous or whatever. But right. Right. I appreciated that they said that because I didn't really ever think of it in that way. But I could see how um, someone who you know would think about would think that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, every reader brings to the book, no matter what the book is, their own life experiences. And I think that obviously affects the lens through which they see things. Now, in in the book, you sometimes use dual timelines. Okay, Mm -hmm. how do Mm -hmm. you know when to do that so that you don't and I think you do it very well here so that you don't interrupt the flow of the narrative? Hmm. That's a good question. I wish I had like a real good like response for that. I, I, it's by feel, right? And mm-hmm. so typically I will write the main story and I know what, you know, the back flashback or dual timeline story will be, but I'll write one the big main part first and then I'll write the next one and I'll try to see where, you know, the big, huge um, elements, you know, that I want the reader to get um, are and that's where I'll put in like a little bit, you know, the flashbacks so that they can actually be in real time of when that thing happened, like when Nina, you know, gets her name, her um, her, her right. work name, Echo. And I thought that that's important because um, names are are a thread that goes throughout the series, and you know what people are called. And she has been through very many iterations of her name. Um, how she started is not how she ends up, and so it was important that to me that you know the reader learn how does how did she get her name how right, did right. this happen how did this happen and it's the same thing that i do i don't do it so much in in book 2 but in book 1 book 1 is definitely a dual timeline because it gives you nina in real time as a as a 30 something year old and then it gives you anine which is her given name as a 14 year old in ghana and how that whole thing starts so do you so when you're writing this if i'm understanding you correctly do you write them separately and then go back and put in the the earlier timelines if you will in the spots where you think they best belong yes okay all right i got you Mm -hmm. all right Mm -hmm. all right now at the outside of the book nina is in charleston south carolina uh, Mm -hmm. which which you write is quote reminiscent of new orleans close quote so Mm -hmm. since i'm down here in new orleans and we have new orleans listeners have you been here I have not, but ah. but uh, my I know right. I was supposed to go a couple of years ago, and and I'm like oh, and I have a friend who who lives um who lives around there, mm-hmm. and I'm like I want to go so badly because I know you know from pictures and videos and and things like that, and my mom's been there too, you know that Charleston 
does. It looks like yeah, a little bit, does. you know, of it. And, and I was like, man, I, I just want to be there and have the beignets and, and uh, you know, the etouffee and all of that stuff. And I want to just have that experience. Well, good. I cannot yeah. wait. All right. Well, come. you come down, <laughs> drop us a line. We'll set you up with the right restaurants. All right. Let me ask okay. you a couple other, <laughs> another character question, okay? Sure. Authors will often tell me, and I think this, of all the com- communications we get here at the station, probably the one that listeners are most surprised by. Authors will often tell me that if they create a good character, the character actually helps write the story. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be true with Nina or with some of the other characters? Yes. I, I think that when the character is really good and solid and you are you know that character inside and out, they really the story just flows easily from them. Mm-hmm. And it is passionate in its telling and uh, you just can't miss with with that um if you if you don't know the character so much if the character hasn't really revealed themselves to you in a hundred percent in a way um then it's a little bit harder because you're you're trying to write on a guessing game and the story will change at various parts because that's a new revelation that the writer or i'm sorry that the character is showing you and then you're like oh okay so you're not that way and then that will make for a more difficult story because then you have to go back and kind of fix things to align with that so so i i think for a very long time about the main characters Mm -hmm. about how they're going to be about what they're going to be about and what most of all is their goal their motivation what is it that they really really want and what is their struggle in this story and then I and I go from there, and I really let that sit with me. And that's when the characters are always in my head as I'm trying to figure out what is their goal, what is their struggle, how how are they, how would they, how would this particular person um, fix the issues that they're having? Yeah. Well, it, it sounds almost psychotic, but I one times had an author in the studio, and I asked that mm-hmm. question. He said. Yeah, I've had characters say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and people, people hear that and laugh. But there is some sense of that, right? Absolutely. Um, you, when you, you know when, when whatever you're writing is not true to the character, and that's the character saying, no, that's not me, and you might want to change it. Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. organic to you. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely. All right, so let me, let me end with this question, if I can. When you're writing fiction and you create characters, and then you put those characters in different situations, whether they're ethical or unethical or whatever. Um, do you learn anything about yourself through that process? Yeah, I, you, I definitely learn what that I also, I guess, don't really necessarily think in, in black and white. That there right. might be occasions where I could see why someone would do something that, you know, everyone else would think is horrendous. Um you know, depending on what their situation is. And so I don't take everything at face value. I like to really kind of figure out why, you know, it's always, it's always about the why for me. Why Mm -hmm. did somebody do something is what determines for me whether or not what they did is something that I can get behind or not. Um, So it's really helps me to like, to question and be like, why, why? Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes people try to say, well, there is no why, but I, I don't believe that. I think there is always a why. They may not know what that why is just yet, but then that just means there's a little bit more digging to do. Yeah, expands your horizon a little bit by mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Folks, you've been, oh, you've, been, uh, you've been listening to the Writer's <laughs> Forum, and I've been speaking with author Yasmin Ungo about her new book, It Ends With Night. Now, this is part of a three-book series. Yasmin, is there a website or a social media site that folks can go to in order to learn more about you 
and about your writings? Yes, you can go to my website, yasminango.com, Y-A-S-M-I-N-A-N-G-O-E.com. Um, I am also on Twitter, or I guess formerly known as Twitter, at Yaz A. Writer. I'm okay. also on Instagram, author underscore Yaz. Okay. Well, thanks for, so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Folks, the music for today's show is provided by Valerie Hunt Jester. The show has been produced by Tyler O'Brien. Tune in next Tuesday at 4 p.m. and Wednesday at 5.30 a.m. for the next segment of the Writers' Forum.